0: welcome back buffalo bills fans It's is matt warden editor-in-chief at buffalo and the host of buffalo and q a the podcast you're listening to right now on the buffalo rumblings podcast network before we get into the bills 4-0 start and their win over the Las Vegas Raiders. I wanted to make sure you knew how to get in touch with the show because the show kind of stinks without your questions. If you want to ask your question on next week's episode, give us a call, 716-508-0405. Tweet us at Rumlings and a You can send us emails, rumlings at spnation.com. Comment on the show notes articles over at buffalorumlings.com. Facebook messages, Instagram messages all make their way to me as well. So there's plenty of ways to get in touch with the show, have your questions answered on next week's episode or any episode beyond that. Now, turning to the Las Vegas Raiders and the Buffalo Bills win over those Raiders. Here are my takeaways from the game. My lead takeaway was just about how refreshing it was for the Bills to be in control of the game from beginning to end. Um, and I, I headlined it with, the, these Bills are special. They're just good. They jumped out to another big lead. Uh, it never really felt like the Raiders were going to win this game. Uh, they kept settling for field goals, and for the first time in a really long time, you didn't think that that was going to be enough against the Bills. Even when the Raiders were driving for that go-ahead score sometime in the third quarter, I never really doubted the fact that the Bills were going to win the game because I just figured that the offense would be able to turn it back on And outscore the Raiders down the stretch because the Raiders kept settling for field goals and um, I just I really liked the offensive game plan I liked what I saw even from the defense for the most part I mean I just ho hum Josh Allen didn't throw for 300 yards like mean, it was really hard for me to formulate all of these takeaways because I just the Bills are proving week in and week out that they're just a really good team Josh Norman was my second takeaway. He makes a, made a big difference in the game against the Raiders. Uh, he came in for an injured Levi Wallace. The plan was to kind of bring him along slowly. He's been out for a month, over a month, with a hamstring injury. So bringing him back slowly was their plan. They didn't have that luxury. And he stepped up in a big way. Uh, yeah, he got trucked at least once in the game. Uh, we saw that in um, when he was going in to make a tackle. But he also came up with the turnover that really turned the tide for the Bills in that third quarter that we just talked about uh, with a nice uh, punch out, forced fumble, and then he also recovered the fumble uh, to really set the Bills up in a nice position. Uh, On the next play, the Bills chucked a bomb to Stephon Diggs, uh, and uh, the Bills were back in business. And it just really turned the tide of the game for the defense as the Raiders were driving for what was potentially the go-ahead score. The defensive line, I think, um, was steady On Sunday, but they're still having a hard time bringing down the quarterback and rattling the quarterback. And I got a little bit of guff on this in the comments section. I thought the defensive line played better this week, but I still don't think that they're imposing their will on opponents. And with how much they've invested in that defensive line, they need to be doing more. And and that's really the crux of my argument is that they spent their top draft pick on the defensive line. They brought in two or three of their most expensive free agents this offseason, We're on the defensive line. They've got Jerry Hughes. They've got Trent Murphy, both on expensive contracts. The defensive line was supposed to be a strength of this team, and it's turning out to be, I mean, maybe not a liability. Maybe liability is the wrong word. I don't think they're getting crushed because their defensive line play is bad, but they should be imposing their will on offensive lines, and they have not been doing that to this point in time. I don't want to harp on this next point for too long, but I just wrote, make it a three-score game, Josh. With eight minutes left and a 14-point lead, the Bills had third and 18 from the Vegas 28. Josh Allen dropped back. Uh, I think he was starting to see a guy come open, but just as he was about to see his uh, guy come open, he rolled backwards and was eventually sacked because there was some pressure in his face. So they were in field goal range. They lost 14 yards. Then they had to punt. Um, And I blame Brian Dable as much for this as anybody else. I I understand the go-for-it mentality, and you don't want to give up a scoring opportunity. But on 3rd and 18, get 6 yards, get 8 yards, get 10 yards, and kick the field goal to make it a 3-possession game with 8 minutes left. The goal is to win the game, and most of the time, I'm a a proponent of going for the sticks on 3rd down. But in that situation, giving Tyler Bass an opportunity to make a... Forty-something yard field goal, or or even get it a little bit closer, so that you have a more manageable field goal to make it a three-score game with eight minutes left. The, the Raiders aren't going to get the ball three more times in eight minutes, so that effectively would have won the game. Instead, you had to you know play it all the way down to an onside kick attempt at the end. Um, it's just those game management things that we want to see. Um, a boneheaded decision for sure, but like I said, I don't want to kill him for it. He's playing really well this year and that was like the one standout thing that I thought he did really poorly this week um, but it could come back to bite him in the butt later on you know you want to take away chances that the Raiders are going to win the game and that would have effectively closed it out. Isaiah McKenzie had a great game um, and proved his worth and Andre Roberts is doing the same thing. The Bills are showing why they kept so many receivers on the roster uh, at uh, cutdown day. Uh, McKenzie through three games had six catches for 70 yards and one rush for four yards against the Raiders he got the first carry of the game that went nowhere um, but they made him a part of the game plan right from the beginning and then came back to it on fourth and one in the third quarter he took a jet sweep handoff for 16 yards it was perfectly timed perfectly executed um, caught the Raiders really by surprise and I really loved it so I'm I like what the Bills are doing with their four wide receiver sets. Um, they're keeping Lee Smith inactive. They're you know, spreading the ball out, and it's just working really great. And McKenzie proved his worth again today with that fourth down pickup. Josh Allen's potential injury at the end of the first half made all of our hearts skip a beat. So just talking about that a little bit, uh, do you guys remember what it felt like when Allen went to the locker room and like how your heart went a little bit? Uh, higher into your chest and um, or maybe it sank into your stomach one way or the other Um, it it did not feel good he's outperforming what folks thought he was going to do this year and having an mvp caliber season and when he left the game that was scary thank you john gruden is my final takeaway from the game I thought John Gruden did as much to help the Bills down the stretch as anybody on the actual Bills team. Uh, there were some weird clock management things and just some just awful decisions, in my opinion, uh, from John Gruden on fourth and two from the Buffalo seven. They kicked a field goal in the third quarter to make a one score game into a one score game. Again, we're talking about the number of opportunities. So they went from a, a four point deficit to a, a one point deficit after they kicked a field goal for three points. And so that was in the third quarter. Um, The Bills were still up after that field goal. Um, Inside two minutes left in the game, Derek Carr ran the ball to Buffalo's seven-yard line to set up a third and one, and Gruden called timeout with the Raiders down two scores. If you're down two scores, you need to score twice. And so calling your timeout means that you can't stop the clock enough times if Buffalo gets the ball back. So you're effectively, once you take that timeout, you're saying, okay, now we have to recover a onside kick no matter what. Instead, you should have had one or two plays called in the huddle or call a play from the line and, you know, five or six seconds get lined up and go for it instead of that timeout. And I understand, like, wanting to get the score, but, like, you're really hamstringing yourself going forward by taking that timeout. So thanks a lot, John Gruden. All right, it's time to head to your questions. Joe P. asks us on our email, Hi, Matt. So far this season, Trey White hasn't quite seemed like the shutdown corner of last year. While I don't think he's performing poorly, he just hasn't seemed like an all-pro to the eye test. What are your thoughts? Is there anything to support this? And what has been different this year? Part of it is that uh, other teams are going away from him. Uh, they're picking on Levi Wallace. They're picking on the linebackers, uh, whether it's A.J. Klein or um, you know whoever was in to replace Matt Milano. Or Tremaine Edmonds when those guys were out, so that's part of it is that they're really going away from him. And when they have been attacking him, it's been in one-on-one situations. I can only really remember one play where, for sure, it was Trey White's man, and Trey got beat, and he was in pretty good position. Um, I think it was a Ryan Fitzpatrick dime throw um, against the Miami Dolphins for a touchdown. Um, I don't. I don't think he's playing poorly either. I just don't think he's making any highlight real plays, and you know. The, the opposing defenses have been going away from him. So I'm not necessarily worried about him. I'm very glad that they gave him that extension. It's just a matter of, you know, you can't build your entire defense around one cornerback. And so as the bills kind of settle in, and and that goes back to the defensive line too. Like, I mean, the defensive line needs to get more pressure up front with how much they spent on the defensive line. So uh, I don't think Trey is playing poorly. I just don't think he's made any highlight catches because nobody's really going after him that much. Thanks for your question over at Buffalo Rumblings at sbnation.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to take more of your questions from the Bills and Raiders game and beyond. Over to Twitter, where Sam Bees asks us, Great start to the season. Now that the Bills are 4-0, do you see Brandon Bean going into the 2021 draft stable and moving one f- for help now, perhaps a defensive end or linebacker? No, I don't see Brandon Bean making an in-season trade. Um, they spent so much on their defensive line this offseason between uh, Vernon Butler, uh, A.J. Epinesa, Quentin Jefferson, Mario Addison, they just brought in so many guys this offseason that I don't think making a trade for one now is really in the cards as far as defensive line goes. That linebacker, I think they're really happy with the two linebackers that they have in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. I think they thought that they were happy having a veteran in A.J. Klein there, but they've already paid A.J. Klein for the season, and I don't necessarily know if you're going to get an upgrade there. Plus, that guy, I think he played 10 snaps last week. The only time that he's really been on the field has been when Milano and Edmonds have been hurt. The Bills play a base nickel, and so I just don't see them needing a third linebacker in addition to Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, um, other than a depth option, which Klein and Terrell Dotson both are. So I just don't see them making a move at defensive line or at linebacker, especially during the season. Um, This offseason, you might see them invest more heavily in getting another pass rusher, especially as Jerry Hughes continues to get older and seems to be losing his effectiveness. Uh, because Trent Murphy is going to be gone, I could see them investing in another pass rusher this offseason, but I don't think that they're going to trade for a guy during the 2020 season. And I think that's what you're asking in your question. Thanks for that over on Twitter. Moving over to be Mormon 2020 how did Josh Norman do in his first game? He had that great turnover, but how about coverage in general? I thought for not having played in a month, I thought he did a really nice job uh, against the Raiders. Uh, people are going to pick on him because Tredavious White's on the other side, and I just I thought he did a nice job in coverage. Um, I haven't gone back and re-watched any of the game, but, uh, but from what I saw, I, like I said earlier in the podcast, I saw he did get... Um, Knocked on his keister early in the game um, on a, I think it was a run tackle attempt. But um, in coverage, I thought he did pretty well. Devin sent us an email. Uh, Who's the most likely player among Saran Neal, Taron Johnson, Jaquan Johnson, Tommy Sweeney, Harrison Phillips, Daryl Johnson, Ryan Bates, and Ike Butker to get a contract extension with the Bills? Ranked from most likely to least likely. Whew, that's a really long list. I'm gonna pick Ryan Bates and Ike Butker out of that list. I think that both of those guys know that they're gonna be depth options on the Bills, and they won't get a bigger contract offer somewhere else. So I'm gonna go with those two guys as the top of my list. They like what they have in Jaquan Johnson, um, but the rest of those guys, it's just a little bit more tricky to kind of figure out where they fit in. Harrison Phillips has played OK, but do you want to pay him like a few million dollars a year to be, you know, your top line defensive tackle, your one tech defensive tackle? I don't think he's playing well enough to get that. So maybe he's going to go to another team. The Bills aren't going to be able to keep everybody. And so while I want to keep a guy like Harrison Phillips, you know, if, if he wants starter money, he's going to probably have to go somewhere else to get it. Um, I just don't see them committing to him as their number one starter. You know, when a year from now, when his contract is up, you know, let's go through the rest of that list. I don't think they're going to keep Saran Neal around um, unless he goes on like the AJ EJ Gaines deal, like the veteran minimum or just above veteran minimum type of deal. Taron Johnson. You know He's a very solid tackler, but he's getting his butt handed to him in coverage this year. He's not a guy I really want uh, to commit to long-term there. Jaquan Johnson's still a couple of years away from getting to a contract extension. Same with Tommy Sweeney um, and Daryl Johnson. So I, I think Butker is probably the right answer. I think Butker is probably the right answer on this list. Before we end today's episode, I'm going to play you a little clip from my Q&A special that I ran last week, just quickly going over the questions regarding the Tennessee Titans and who's going to be able to play this Sunday if the Bills and Titans actually do get to play, what did the players have to go through in order to return to the field after a positive COVID-19 test, and uh, some more information. So uh, thanks for listening and enjoy that clip. Here are the rules for the Tennessee Titans players who are returning from their positive COVID test. In order to return, the Titans players will have either have to have 10 days pass since their initial positive test, which is everybody that tested positive before today because all those tests were administered on Wednesday or earlier, so that it'll all be 10 days as of right now, or five days have passed since the initial positive test and they get two negative tests at least 24 hours apart. So theoretically, all the asymptomatic players from the Titans could be playing against the Bills a week and a half from now. If the player demonstrates symptoms, which Titans coach Mike Vrabel said some players were exhibiting flu-like symptoms, they need 10 days to have passed and 72 hours to have passed since they last experienced symptoms. So those players are probably unlikely to play against the Buffalo Bills considering they were experiencing flu-like symptoms at some point this week. Now, Vrabel didn't get into when they were experiencing these flu like symptoms, but that's what the rule says at least 10 days since the symptoms first appeared and 72 hours since last experienced symptoms. So it's a little bit dicey in there and it's a little bit on self reporting in there, but it's probably likely that a lot of the Bill of the Titans players will be available to play against the Bills, especially the asymptomatic ones. The symptomatic players, it'll be a little bit dicier, but again, as long as their symptoms appeared more than 10 days ahead of the Bills game, they have a chance to play against Buffalo. As always, thanks for listening to Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. You can leave your questions on our voicemail line at 716-508-0405, email us Rumlings at sbnation.com, tweet us. At Rumblings Q and A—that's what the word "and" spelled out in the middle. Facebook messages and Instagram messages. You can leave comments in the show notes articles over at BuffaloRumblings.com. We look forward to talking to you after the Bills play the Titans, and um, on a short week as they face the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday Night Football, following their game in Tennessee. Go Bills!